This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and if you have any doubts on why extraterrestrials do not show themselves to the public, all you have to do is watch the news. Like, man, I'll tell you something, today in the news it's crazier than ever. It seems that as we get towards the end of this year, craziness is the key word. We're coming to you live and around the world from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, worldwide. You can visit us online. All our social media sites, X-Zone Radio TV. Our main website, www.xzoneradio.com. And you can always send an email to studio at xzoneradiotv.com. My first guest tonight is paranormal researcher Stephen Lancaster. He is a published author of Supernatural Phenomenon. He also is the producer of Monster Vision TV. Now, Stephen has been involved in the field of paranormal research since 1997, conducting investigative work for politicians, military facilities, the Board of Education, museums, commercial locations, businesses, television, and civilians. In 2007, he formed PIT, Paranormal Investigative Team, which was later dubbed the Pit Crew. During its peak, the pit had members and divisions in North Carolina, South Carolina, Maryland, Kentucky, Connecticut, New York, West Virginia, California, and more. Stephen appeared on A&E Biography, My Ghost Story in 2011, and again in 2012. He's been interviewed on hundreds of radio shows and television shows, and joining us now is Stephen Lancaster. And Stephen, welcome to the X-Zone. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Rob. I have to ask you, what was it that... uh, kind of pushed you in the direction to become a paranormal investigator. Oh, that's easy. Um, well, I wrote about it in my first book. It's pretty much how the book starts. Um, but back in 1987, I was 10 years old. I had an experience like most people do. And uh, long story short on that, it 
it sparked my interest, and I grew up in a very Christian, strict military home, and uh, that wasn't stuff you talked about. So I, I had to do research on my own, uh, libraries, you know, just whatever I could find on cryptozoology, parapsychology, um, UFO phenomena. And all I did was study for about 10 years. And in 97, Mm -hmm. you know, the small town I'm from in Maryland, you know, it it didn't take long for it to get around. Hey, you're the guy that knows all the ghost stuff. You know, I was kind of um, my area's Fox Mulder, so to speak. So, you know, people started coming out of the woodwork. Hey, would you check out my house? Just don't tell anybody, you know, or can you come check out our business? And I kind of just took it from there, hoping to um, run into somebody that had a similar experience. You know, somebody that could maybe give me answers for what happened to me. And it just kind of snowballed from there and, and became this, it became my life. What would you say your your, your forte is, your strength, you know, the number one aspect of the paranormal that you believe that you are stronger in than any other? Or do you believe that your expertise kind of does the entire spectrum? I think that's, uh, to answer that, it's more of a case-by-case basis. Um so to speak, I, I kind of pride myself, my, my degrees in psychology. So before any, anything paranormal even begins with, with a said case, I'm dissecting the client, um, from head to toe, you know, do they have any history of drug abuse? Are they an alcoholic? Sure. Um, any history of mental illness? Um, what's their home life like, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, I guess just to answer your question quickly, I, I think I'm the quickest to, resolve a situation without it involving the supernatural so to speak um you know debunk Mm -hmm. i guess for for lack of a better word uh or validate for a better word because if you debunk that means somebody is trying to perpetrate a hoax but many of cases in my experience the people truly believe that something paranormal is going on and when we uh resolve or if we investigate and bring it to a non-paranormal conclusion it kind of makes them feel better well geez you know at least i'm not going nuts or something listen uh, Stephen, you and i have to take a short break please stand by great talking to you looking forward to spending this hour with our guest exo nation his name is Stephen lancaster and if you'd like to find out more about Stephen, facebook.com author Stephen lancaster that's author Stephen lancaster this is the exxon i am rob mcconnell And this is a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard Monday through Friday from 11 p.m. until, let me see, now it's 3 a.m. Eastern. As we continue investigating the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology, right here from our broadcast center, after 25 years on radio here in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. 
Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention, specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration, and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at www.drgibbswilliams.com. Shamanism is recognized as a method to access the quantum level. Mastery of shamanic skills puts spiritual information and healing power into your hands. Path Home Shamanic Art School, a bonded Colorado certified occupational school, has met rigorous state standards ensuring its director and instructors have the qualifications to teach the shamanic arts. Path Home offers a certification program in blocks of study. Block 1, a five-day intensive, will be held in the beautiful mountain town of Coldale, Colorado, October 13th through 18th, Registration deadline is September 12th. Experience journey trance, power animals, helping spirits, sacred space, and life purpose. Come discover your power. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, in the magical world of shamanism. Call 303-775-3431 or visit findyourpathhome.com. Nation, Stephen Lancaster is our special guest. In uh, 2009, he self-published Paranormal Investigator, True Accounts of the Paranormal, which was later discovered by Llewellyn Worldwide and re-released as True Case Files of a Paranormal Investigator. The book contains personal case files, welcomed stellar reviews uh, from the general public, and was added to the Library of Congress. Lancaster retired in 2014 following a near-fatal car accident. Two years later, he began work again in the field. Dark Spirits was the follow-up to the, his 2012 offering. It's slated for... It should have been released by now, shouldn't it, Stephen? Yes, that is correct. Excellent. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, Stephen has also appeared on various news broadcasts revolving around paranormal phenomenon and often gives public lectures on the subject. His website, once again, Exonation on Facebook... Facebook.com forward slash author Stephen Lancaster. All right, Stephen, tell us about the very first investigation that you did. That that was the pivotal point that got you hooked. Oh, wow. Um, well, let me try to do that with two of them. Okay. I, I would say the, the very first one was in 97. Um, it was very Neanderthal. Uh, literally ran around with a, an old uh, authentic Boy Scout compass. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I, I determined any any kind of uh, magnetic disturbances, and a notepad and pencil and a rabbit's foot just for the sheer novelty of it. 
And uh, it was just a graveyard. Somebody had told me a story about this woman. Uh, the kid died in a motorcycle accident. And I had went up there. And it, I just liked it. It was more of the what could be that, mm-hmm. that got me, you know, that, rather than what actually was. And then you fast forward from there to 2008, 2009 uh, at a place called the Brentwood Wine Bistro in Little River, South Carolina. And that's that's the moment. That's the first time I ever saw physically a manifestation right in front of me. No, no denying it. OK, case closed. I knew I was right all along, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I researched that location for two and a half years after that. And it became the the largest chapter in, in that first book because that was the first time of witnessing something like that. But I, I never, you know, I wasn't able to prove it, so to speak, if there's somebody, if there's some higher power to prove this to. Um, but that that one really sticks out because it was from that point I knew it was possible to see them. So the next step is not capturing them physically, but, you know, in, in some kind of film medium, get them on, you know, camera mm-hmm. in some way. So I know it's possible. And, and did you capture it on camera? Uh, not there, but um, at another location that's in the book Dark Spirits that came out in August, um, the best of footage, the best piece of footage I have, and I'm holding it very dearly. I show very few people this piece of footage because once it hits the Internet, it's gone, if you, if you know what I'm saying. I sure do. And uh, it's, a, it's a thermal, thermal foot, piece of footage, um, and it's just it's remarkable. And I, I write about it in great detail in that chapter. It's, it's the attic of this building, three stories up an old uh, plantation house and there are two windows you can vividly see the 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 shot is centered mm-hmm. and you see this blue sphere come from the right about the size of a basketball and it's in the first pane of glass then it disappears and then as it gets to that last pane of glass it is it had manifested into a full body it looked like um somebody hunched over like they were carrying a sack um, to describe it a little bit better, like a slave would, you know, back during the you know plantation days. Right, right. And what really made that piece of footage remarkable is the fact that you saw it in the first pane of glass, didn't see it as it proceeded, but then saw it again when it hit that second window, which means that it was outside of the building, three stories up in the air. And, and I mean, it's giving me chills just telling you about it because I have shown people this footage and they just drop their jaw. There's no sound, nothing. You just see this manifestation come from the right. Mm-hmm. He's, you can see him right through the window. He disappears because now he's behind the wall outside. And then you see him again when he hits that second window, but he's full body. It, it's unmistakably a, a man, you know, a human figure. Did you do any, any background investigation into the plantation to try and discover who this was? Absolutely. Initially, we th- uh, there, there's actually a mm-hmm. whole book on this location now. One of the investigators that I worked with on that case, she penned an entire book on it. And uh, initially, we thought it was this little boy um, who had drowned in this pond. And, and, the, and the way that happened, historically, didn't make any sense. It was like he went out into the middle of the pond and just let himself drown, almost as if it was suicide. And then there were rumors that he was bullied out into the middle of that pond by, you know, whatever, whether it be human interference or, sure. or something supernatural. But something made him stay out in the middle of that pond until fatigue came over him and he drowned. So initially we thought it was him. But then the more we researched about the property, the three slave quarters, mm-hmm. um, there was voodoo practice. Oh, wow. You know, we thought maybe something darker had happened, you know. Where did the voodoo come in? Was it because that these slaves were were practicing voodoo on the it, on the property? 
Exactly. The the two um, slave quarters that were still um, erect yes. had the symbols, they, the snake symbols, the ropes. I mean, there was a yeah. lot of stuff still in these buildings, you know, the markings on the walls. It, it was all voodoo when we referenced it. So either somebody – and the, the fact of the matter is in 1940, this place shut down. So it, it remained empty mm-hmm. until probably 2005, 2006, this um, dentist bought it. To renovate it, and initially he wanted to turn it into a bed and breakfast. You know, forget about the 80-some acres that's out behind the plantation house. He just wanted to turn the plantation house. And he started to uh, experience these things that weren't so kind, and uh, he brought in the investigator that I'm talking about that wrote the book. Yes. It's called Just Believe, and then she brought in a whole team, which included me and my team, the PIT at the time. And uh, we spent probably a year at this location. Uh, it was pretty much a camping situation, campers, tents, you know, bringing our own power because um, there, there wasn't any power, wasn't any running water. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, so you were, you were dealing with 115 degree heat index in July, you know, in North Carolina. It, it, it was rough because not only did you have to battle the supernatural, <laughs> but, you know, the elements, sure. it, you know, a- actual animals. This is 80 some acres where most of it was forest. Mm-hmm. So you, you, we, we were armed, of course. You know, I have military people on my team. I have law enforcement on my team. So it was more than just a ghost hunt, so to speak. What were the conditions, the atmospheric conditions, the temperature, the, the weather at the moment it, you captured this, this anomaly? This was in, that was in January. Um, so it was bitter cold. Um, I would say, you know, looking back, it was below freezing. Because uh, we were running a fire outside. We were in campers at that point. Um, most of the stereotypical stuff, the voices, the cracks, the creaking, mm-hmm. um, there was a lot of growling. We, we would get in the, in the hotter months, in the warmer months, which at first, you know, we attributed to, okay, it's the building shifting. Sure. We're all moving around in this building. Nobody's done it in X amount of years, you know. Mm-hmm. But it was, um, it was the dead of winter when we, we got that thermal hit. And that, that what... See, there's so much I don't want to go into because it's in the book, but that same night, three of the investigators were physically harmed, physically attacked. Um, one was thrown up against a wall, and he's a big old boy, ex-military, 300-some pounds, thrown up again. I saw this happen with my own eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, another investigator was thrown down a set of steps. Um, I was hit in the face and later discovered three precise, almost like it was done with a scalpel, a scalpel or um, exacto knife across my face three slashes and I didn't feel that what I felt um, is best described when you try to put two magnets together at opposite polarity you know that force yeah they don't you know that's what it felt like it just felt like this magnetic force kind of like a punch to the face and it put me down half of the steps and I hit the landing then my other investigator kind of followed knocking me down the rest of them and it was later they pointed out hey what's wrong with your face and it was that same night that um, the thermal footage caught what it did why do you think this entity or this spirit, this ghost, or whatever it is, attacked you? It's it's all theory. Because um, we, I mean, I, I joke about it. I even joke about it in the book. It sounds like it, it belongs as an episode of The X-Files because mm-hmm. it's so bizarre. Um, but these cases are just a dime a dozen. Or, I mean, you know, not a dime a dozen. Um, they're very rare. You know, we thought, well, it was bruising the women. And we thought initially... It, just from going up and down in this building, trekking along in the woods, you know, they're bruising themselves. It was bruising them in their thighs. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual, you know, actual real harm came to the men. 
And we thought, and it, it saved me for last for um, to, to bring some drama into this. But um, we thought, you know, if it brings down the guys and we call it, if we say, okay, it's not safe here, we don't belong here anymore, then it wins, we leave. That, that was our theory. Mm-hmm. You know, take down the, the strength, so to speak. You know, not, not saying that, uh, you know, to be sexist or not, you know what I mean. Just take down the men that keep charging in here, that keep insisting on living here and doing this investigation. And if we beat them, I get my place back, as silly as it sounds. But why go there in the first place? What did you try to accomplish? Like, if this is the resting place of a spirit or a ghost, why taunt it by going? Well, there, to be honest with you, there, there, no taunting existed. We, I don't provoke. The team I, I rolled with at that time, mm-hmm. there, there's no provoking. Not like you see on TV. Um, it was none of that. It was more or less trying to learn, trying to help. We thought if something was angry, we thought... Did it need to say something to somebody? You know, again, initially we thought we were dealing with a little child, this mm-hmm. Jimmy kid. Um, but then it, it later turned it, it was not the case. Um, but then, you know, I'm not afraid to admit it now, and, and, and neither are the rest of the group. That place kind of took us over where people, you know, members of the group would call off work. You know, one was a school teacher, you know, others, they would, they would just show up. You know, they'd go, oh, hey, I'm up here at the plantation again. Mm-hmm. You know what? No, no, you're not supposed to be there by yourself. It's like the place just sucked you in. Once it, it, once it started giving you these pieces, like, wow, this is just too good to pass up, too good to be true. We got to keep going back. It became like a drug, so to speak. Or, or, was it, or was it the thrill that the adrenaline rush of being there, of being part of something that is paranormal, that you may see be part of something that is the smoking gun? Could this also be it? You're a psychologist. It, I can't speak for the rest of them. Uh, possibly for some of them it was. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it, it was yeah, a lot. It was like, yeah, this could be the key. This is so – I have never seen anything so – I've never seen a place this active in my life. And still to this day, I haven't. There are members of that team that no longer participate mm-hmm. in research and investigating because of that location. You know, I walked away with that like just as another piece like, wow, you know, I'm on the right path here. And – I can't say it was for the thrill. It was more of like, what more can I get? You know, how much more can I get from this place? You know, and it all led up to getting that great piece of thermal footage until eventually we just had to, once people started getting physically hurt, yeah, um, we just had to walk away from it. Interesting. Question. How could you catch a spirit on thermal image when, according to everything that I've heard over the many years... There is no heat signature. Well, I don't know. You know, I, I don't build the machines. I, I don't know what their temperament are. Mm-hmm. As I've thought about that, too. And I, I had a guy from California look at this footage. Actually, it was the guy from the, the company of the camera. Mm-hmm. This was a $30,000 thermal camera we were using specifically for this location. And it was on loan from this company. And I've asked him that question because it was it was bluish, it was greenish, and by the time it was full body, it was more of a blue color. Um, wasn't a lot of heat signature, so to speak. The reds, the oranges, um, the burnt oranges. Right. And, and I, if it would have went through the entire room and you saw it that way, mm-hmm. I probably would have thought it was an investigator. But there, aside from the fact that it was actually outside, three stories in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but there were two investigators up there at the time. All right, time. we've got to take a little and bit of a cliffhanger here. We've got to take our break at the bottom of the hour. Exxon Nation, Stephen Lancaster is our guest. Facebook.com forward slash author Stephen Lancaster. We'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking, sci-fi radio programming 24-7, 365. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we'll weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Mutual Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Stephen Lancaster is our guest. He's the author of Dark Spirits, and it was released in August of this year 
For more information about Stephen, visit his website at facebook.com forward slash author Stephen Lancaster. Uh, Stephen, this 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 apparition, this ball of energy, uh, you were saying that an expert from the company that loaned you the, the cameras, a $30,000 uh, piece of equipment, what was his analysis of what of what the footage was that you actually shot? Well, to quote him exactly, he said, Stephen, I don't know what to say about this. Because mm-hmm. he had, of course, his people look at it as well. And he said, you know, if it was somebody that went through the entire room, you would see that. And he said, of course, I'm taking your word for it that outside those windows, it's a three-story drop. Mm-hmm. He said, so it would literally have to have been outside. So he, he was just as dumbfounded. Wow. And he, he even said, because I had sent it to him on a file that it wasn't a glitch, so he ruled that out. Mm-hmm. You know, he thought maybe it glitched as it was coming across the room, and it just kind of cut out, and he just appears again in the next window. But you can see it, you know, frame by frame that it, it's continuous. And maybe to ask you, answer your initial question about this, I was up in that attic, and so was the initial investigator who took this case. Mm-hmm. Now, this attic's one big room with those two big windows at the end. On the walls on both sides are doorways that let you go out and access the rafters. I guess you could use it for storage or whatnot. We were sitting out there on the rafters, so we're out of frame completely. We're behind another wall. Mm-hmm. We're sitting in there doing a communication session, and I actually stop her, and I say, you know, is it just because it's late? You know, is it because of the lighting? Um, but I think my eyes are playing tricks on me. At the All the way at the end of the building, uh, over top of the rafters, I saw what looked like this black mass. Hmm. But I dismissed it as just my eyes. And we, we continued on. And then eventually, a few choice words later, I did see what I initially thought I saw. And I'm like, there is something down there. Because it, it, you vividly saw it move. Well, then it was gone. The next morning is when I decided, hey, that thermal camera was running. Let me go back up there. Because it, it, it ran continuously the entire time we were there. Let me go back up there and grab that and take a look at that footage when we were in the attic. Right. So you can see us come up the stairs. You can see us walk across the attic. So you had us for comparison. We were the red. You could see the red, the heat from us. Mm-hmm. And then you see us disappear behind the wall to sit on those rafters. And then 15, 20 minutes later is when this anomaly comes out as a sphere and then across the room and then he's full body or she. And uh, at, the, at the point it disappears from that last pain is when you can hear me actually say those choice words. So when it disappears from this pain, it is now through the wall and would have been at the opposite end if it would have come in from outside to where I could have seen it. So it was all of those chemicals that kind of added up to, okay, I thought I saw something, Mm -hmm. then I did see something, then I look at the thermal and the timing couldn't have been better. It pops out in the attic. Then we see it again closer to the wall, which we're on the other side of. And then all of a sudden, I see it as it leaves the attic and enters that area. And this was this was using the thermal camera. Correct. Did anyone actually see it when it wasn't through a thermal lens? No. The only thing I can I can speak of is yeah. say that I saw what appeared to be, I guess, a silhouette of a person hunched down, like if you were just kind of hunched down without putting your your rear end on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you got a, maybe a hand on one of your knees, you know what right. I mean? Like you're looking down at the sure. ground at something or you're inspecting something. Um, that's what it looked like to me all the way at the end of the, the, the rafters. Yeah. Um, but as, as far as when it was out in the attic, nobody was there to physically see anything. 
You said earlier that you believed it might have been a slave, since that this was a this property was probably uh, you know it had slaves going way back as the mansion and the the amount of land that was around it. Why would a slave attack you? I, I don't know. You know. They, I wish, you know, that that's the problem with this story and that's the problem with this case and that's mm-hmm. the problem with the chapters on this story. It doesn't have an ending, you know, and that kills people. And that's, you almost have a crutch when you write about these kind of things because this isn't like a movie. I wish I could write fiction and give it mm-hmm. an ending. You know, all of this is just theory. All of this is ideas. We know it operated as a soybean um Plantation. We know there were slaves living there. Right. Uh, we know they practiced voodoo. We know a kid died. Um, so it's all just guessing. Okay, you look at this image. It looks like Santa Claus, somebody holding a sack. Right. Well, who who would look like that? Yeah. Well, a slave would. You know, carrying crops or whatever mm-hmm. um, that they just picked. So it, it's all just hearsay. But that's all you really got. And, and as far as attacking, we walked away from that place definitely believing there was more than one. Mm-hmm. And whatever was there or is still there um, is intelligent and is self-aware. There were many times which people can read about um, in the book where whatever it is would mimic us. It could sound just like us. The, the night I was attacked, one of the investigators is alone in the building. Here's somebody from upstairs say my name, but it sounded just like one of our other investigators. She comes out expecting that guy to be out there, with, expecting not to see that guy. She comes out and sees we're all accounted for. Of course, she has this dumbfounded look on her face. She said, somebody in there just said your name, and it sounded just like so-and-so. And then that happened to me as well in the attic. I heard um, a yes, the answer yes, to a question, and it sounded just like one of the investigators, but he wasn't even there that night. So to say it was one entity, I don't think so. I think there was more than one. And, and, and we would get benign responses but then we would get darker responses you know more intimidating responses but it's like i've always said to people how do you actually know what you're dealing with because they have attributes we can't even fathom right now could it all be the same thing could it be pretending to be that kid initially to lure us in you know it's just so many questions rob i I don't know could it be mind over matter it's possible but i mean there were there were eight of us and when eight people witnessed the same thing and the, and the way we operated, there was very little room for error. Mm-hmm. You know, when one person would witness something, they wouldn't say a word. And we would have these, um, we'd have this system of deduction, and then we'd wait, and the other person would say, would write down what they thought they saw. You know, just simple things like that. And then you'd find out that everybody saw the same thing. You know, so there wasn't like, I came out of the house, oh, I just got thrown down a flight of steps. Now everybody's got that in their head. You know, and they go in there thinking they're going to be attacked, um, where they're influenced or, or whatnot. Uh, we made we were very careful with that kind of thing. But isn't isn't there hasn't there been a recent discovery that uh, a group of people can project something that the rest of the people can see as well? I, and I believe that I actually did a um, I used to do radio before, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the episodes was called Psychokinesis versus Ghost. Mm-hmm. And I did this long episode. I was actually talking to a, a gal from the UK and, and her team. And um, we were arguing back and forth because I said, is it possible that maybe we are the ones creating this stuff? Mm-hmm. Is it possible? You know, so I, it is. 
So what happened to this case? Is it just over with? Is it pending? Uh, is it? Well, basically unknown? what happened was things got things became so heated that mm-hmm. the owner um, basically stopped it. Wow. Uh, there's just so much to it. I really recommend anybody read that book. It's called Just Believe. That's the girl who, you know, she, the girl I was talking about who wrote right. the whole book on it. I only touch base on two chapters in the book. You know, my personal experience is there. But there is so much more. It, it's really, I mean, aside from being reality, it's really a, a cool story. All right, that's number one. Tell me your next one. Because I asked you for your number, your top and you said, well, there's two that come to mind. So let's hear the second story. Oh, wow. Um, well, like I, like I alluded to earlier with the Brentwood Wine b- mm-hmm. Bistro, seeing yeah. that physical manifestation is definitely something I'm never going to forget. Uh, shoot. Um, Did, hearing my name yeah. at different locations, that's been a big thing. Anytime you can see objects move and there's no rational explanation for it, mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's always been a good thing. I, I did a um, a military facility in Wilmington, right? And another case where I physically saw a manifestation, six foot tall, solid black silhouette of a man, and I watched him for a good three minutes. And it, it was in a um, an old USO building. Did you, you know, take when, when did the, you take uh, a picture? Soldiers were on leave or whatnot. Yeah. They they go there for R and R. Did you take a picture? I, well, here's the thing. I, I had my video camera on this guy mm-hmm. the entire time. This right. is in the theater um, area of the building. Huge building. And I'm, I guess, at what you would call stage right. Yeah. And I just happened to look out into the audience. And the audience, there, there aren't any chairs unless they have something going on there. So it was just this nice, glossy, like a gymnasium floor mm-hmm. to picture it. And uh, what really made this guy stand out to me is I see him. And I'm like, okay, this has just got to be light play, shadows or whatnot. But behind him was an exit sign. He was blocking out the red from that exit sign. And when he moved, you could see the red all of a sudden on that glossy floor. That's when it got my attention. Like, this thing just moved. It was blocking the light. So it was mass. You know, you know what I mean? It wasn't right. a shadow. It was actual physical mass to block that light. So I'm kind of like... Hey, hey, you know, whispering across the stage <laughs> to the 200 investigators. I said, come here. Uh, you know, are you guys seeing what I'm seeing looking through this camera? They st- they stood there with me and looked at this person. And right before it literally just vanished, as cliche, cliche as that sounds, it screamed out, fight around the world. And it sounded like it was British. You know, it definitely it definitely wasn't um, it, it was it wasn't a Yankee accent. Uh, and then it was gone. And then it's like the whole auditorium just lit up, so to speak. It was like this blackness just disappeared. And immediately I couldn't wait to review the tape. Yeah. And when I, because re- back then I was actually using film, there was nothing there. It was like I was looking at nothing. And if it, and if it wasn't for the other two investigators that saw it too, I still would have believed I saw nothing. Why but it is, didn't film it. Why is it that some people have these experiences and others can be with investigators who see things and they don't see anything. I've heard that, um, and I believe that a lot with, with some of the people I continue to work with. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to compare that to magnetism, uh, spiritual magnetism, so to speak. It's like uh, when you roller skate for three or four hours, and then you take the skates off, you still kind of feel like you have the skates on. Or, um, you know, you, or, or when that batter goes up to, to, before he goes up to swing, he's, he's swinging three bats in the dugout, you know? 
So when it goes up to swing, it, it's a lot lighter. Well, you, you know when you take a, a paper clip, maybe this will explain it better. You take a paper clip and you rub it vigorously on a magnet. For a brief moment in time, that paper clip becomes magnetized. Well, I think with some people like myself, this is what I do all the time. This is all I do, aside from write about it and do some film. But And the people I work with, it's the same thing. So we are constantly putting ourselves in these situations where, where we are around alleged spiritual activity. Is it because we are around it so often we become magnetized, so to speak, because there are cases I've worked. You know, we, this isn't like TV where they make you think you go in somebody's house for six hours and mm-hmm. you've got it all figured out. We, uh, I don't do that. I, I spend years at one location. On top of, you know, the 12 others I'm working too, but sure. it's it's never just one and done. It's You, you can't expect it, it. It's not like you can sell tickets for it. All I right, can't listen. expect to experience what somebody experienced over the span of 25 years in one night. All right, stand by. We've got to take our final break. Exxon Nation, Stephen Lancaster is our guest. www.facebook.com forward slash author Stephen Lancaster. We'll both be back after this short break. Don't go away. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exome Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exome Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking, sci-fi radio programming 24-7-365. Coming soon to the Exxon Broadcast Network is a different perspective with me, Kevin Randall, as your host. We'll be taking a close look at what is happening in the world of UFOs today with side trips into the paranormal. 
Guests will range from those who are household names to those who have a different perspective on a variety of topics. No topic will be taboo, but there will be tough questions asked as we all search for the truth about UFOs, the paranormal, and those things that excite us. Sometimes we'll agree with a guest and sometimes we won't, but we'll try to keep the program topical. For those of you who would like to read, be sure to visit www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and remember to listen to the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. What Happened in Benghazi is revealed by Nicholas Genix, author of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. He informs the American people that President Obama deceived them by advocating a strong foreign policy prior to the 2012 presidential election, and Hillary Clinton supported this deception. As the title infers, there is a connection between Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. Ample evidence informs Americans that Obama's early indoctrination in the Quran developed an infinity for Islam, why the Quran is the source of discontent in many countries, and why the Obama foreign policy deception led to poor military action and caused the loss of American lives in Benghazi. Genix provides 36 questions for the Select Committee on Benghazi to validate if Americans are justified to mistrust President Obama and Hillary Clinton. An overview of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi is presented on the website www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life has no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold.
Stephen Lancaster is our guest this hour, Exonation, www.facebook.com forward slash author Stephen Lancaster. Stephen, do you think that your near-death experience had anything to do with your ability to see beyond the grave? Uh, that's a loaded question. Um, I'd just like to say that it, it made me sit back and reflect my own life mm-hmm. for some time and, and the people in my life. You know, I've spent my entire life, you know, 20-some years now, um, more obsessed with what happens after death than, than really seeing what's right in front of me. So it was more of a like a retirement, a reflecting period. You know, when, it, when you almost die, you kind of it really puts things in perspective. You know, so I needed to step back for a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, my life didn't flash before my eyes or anything like that. Um, the only thing that makes that accident interesting is the synchronicity. Um I, I was literally going to meet one of my investigators. I was literally going to investigate with um, the very first guy I ever investigated with when I started a team uh, 10 or 11 years ago. Uh, some of my investigators had posted on their social media that they had a bad feeling, um, that they were going to lose somebody, something bad's about to happen, and then, bam, I have this accident. So it was all these things, yeah, maybe you can look too much into it, but I don't think anything supernatural was behind it. It is it is interesting that they never did determine what happened with the car. It just the front right wheel just came off, the tire came off, and they never did find it. And it caused the car to turn and flip hmm. down the highway seven times. Uh, literally looked like something out of a Die Hard movie, and I even say that in the book. They, they thought when they pulled up that there was nobody alive in that vehicle. Um, so it's a mystery as to why it happened. I think it was something or somebody telling me, hey, you need to walk away and maybe look at things a little yeah. differently for a while. In your bio, it says that uh, you've done investigative work for politicians. Tell us about that. Um, actually, uh, there's a, a documentary coming out in about a month called Visitant, the Johnson family haunting. And that's one of the politicians. He's the mayor. or He was the mayor at the, at the time I was working the case. He was the mayor of this particular town. And it's about his family's haunting their house, their property. And um, I have uh, medical people, uh, nurses that work, you know, that on the team. And um, they had just heard this story at, at one of the hospitals of this guy and what he experienced, and it turns it turned out he was the mayor. And uh, anyways, long story short, he found out I was interested, and we took the case and spent four years on it. We started that case in 2012, and in May of this past year, um, had so much evidence in favor of his story and, and the family's claims that um, it got a documentary deal. So what do you consider as evidence? Well, if it's evidence to prove to somebody, I, I think... Until, as funny as this will sound, until we can actually physically capture one and put it, you know, put it on display for people to see, I don't think there's ever going to be evidence that can, where people are going to say beyond a shadow of a doubt it exists. And then even if there is, it's going to open up a whole can of worms of ethics and morals that that person was once alive. Do you put them in like a zoo? You know, it's, I know it sounds ridiculous, but no, it it doesn't. For me, the proof's there. I've already had my evidence. I've seen it. I've been physically attacked. You know, I don't need proved anything. I'm out to help other people and either prove or disprove what they think they see. But if you're, I, I don't understand. You say you're out to, you're out to help people. Mm-hmm. How does what you've done help other people? Well, like you said earlier in the show, you know, if the, if there is issues with them mm-hmm. or there are issues with them, 
Um, and you go in and, and you reassure them that, that there is nothing here. You know, it's just your mind playing tricks on you. They, they're relieved. You know, they, they feel better. Um, in cases that have dealt with businesses, um, like the Brentwood Wine Bistro, Dang. who was worried it would hurt their business. But instead, I put this place on the map. It's in the book. It gets a TV show. Their business is up 90 percent. And yeah, Chef Eric will be see, the first to tell you. You see, this so that is helped the, them. They learn to accept what they have and live with it. But we all and, know and we all know that the so-called reality TV shows are anything but reality TV shows. Correct. You know, I've never seen so much garbage in all my life. And I blame a lot of this on 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 thirsty programmers who will just throw anything on the air to fill up a time slot. And if there's people stupid enough to believe it, well, that's even better for them. The ratings go up. But when it comes to investigating uh, restaurants, bars, hotels, bed and breakfast, this is an invitation for a cash cow when they say, you know what? I think my, my, my restaurant is haunted. You know, I think my bed and breakfast is haunted. You know, I think my hotel is haunted. Because that will automatically open the door to people, both professional, the majority of people being thrill seekers, non-professionals, to fill up their coffers. I absolutely agree. I agree 100%. And my, I have this wall that goes up when a mm-hmm. business contacts me. I do a lot of research on them. I do a lot of research on the location. And if there's nothing there, there's nothing there. And they, they won't get anything from me. And there have been cases where I could tell it was people wanting to profit, just, just as you suggested. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sorry I can't put my stamp of approval on anything if there's nothing there. Um, but, it, I, but, but wait a second here. Your stamp of approval, mm-hmm. isn't that a little bit egotistical? No, because that's their words, not mine. Believe me, if you knew me, I mean, I have book signings I got to mm-hmm. do in October and I don't even want to go. Okay, it is. It is nothing like that. But if it's Uh, not, if it's their their words, do you have a certificate of authentication you can give us? Mm -hmm. You know, is there something you can say so people will believe it? Mm -hmm. You know, so that's their stamp of approval. Well, hey, this author came in and said this, this, and this. They can do that. That's fine as long as it's true. You know, it doesn't bother me. I'm just. It's just like you said with these TV shows, and I've had offers to do these TV shows. Mm-hmm. My team was supposed to be subject of one and I would not allow it because I know what these shows do, you know? So where do you see yourself in the entire spectrum of things? It depends on who asked that question, man. I'm because, asking you. you know, I, I was thinking about this before, before we started your show. Um, you hear all the time, there are no professionals in this field. And I can't stand that when I hear that, because if there are no professionals, then who's listening to anybody? You know, I had a guy, I can't remember the show I was on, and and I don't like to call myself a professional, because like you just said earlier, that sounds egotistical. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can't exactly get a degree in this anymore, you know. Who is the the say-all? You know, and I think if you've got experience, you know, I've done it for two decades. And I think, am I right all the time? Absolutely not. Um, But I think... I'm confident when I tell somebody something because I'm very thorough and um, honest. And you're not going to get that from a lot of people. These these weekend warriors that want to look more like a metal band than they do, you know, a paranormal investigator or researcher. It's a shame because we could do a whole show on these TV shows because they've really ruined um, the image of what this really is. All right. So based on your experience and the two decades you've been doing this, what do you think the image of a paranormal researcher or investigator is? 
a Ghostbuster. That hit me one day. I, I, I was walking through a Lowe's. I was looking for a moisture detector. Mm-hmm. And some guy yelled down the aisle, hey, Ghostbuster. Never saw this guy in my life, but he knew who I was. You know, it, it hit me the day we pulled into this residential uh, to do an investigation. And, and everybody gets out of their vehicles, starts unloading the equipment, and the client asks, where's the camera crew? Mm-hmm. You know, the, these re- this is the reality. This is what people think. They think it's like they see on Ghost Hunters, you know, or, or Ghost Adventurers or whatever these other shows are. And uh, it's not. But you said Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters was a big movie. Oh, ago. I love Ghostbusters. It's one of, one of my favorite films. Uh, so, but, you know, so do you guys go around this, with these like, these packs on you your can back? Come in and make yeah. it go away, you know, or you're going to capture it, or I, I don't know what they think. It's just it's ridiculous. If it's ridiculous, why do you do it? I do it for myself. If if it wasn't for an accident, I wouldn't mm-hmm. even be an author. If it wasn't for the guy you had on last night, <laughs> I wouldn't even be an author. Uh, I think you had Stephen Lachance on. Nope. Uh, no, no. Uh, maybe maybe it was some other show, but um, he had read my my uh, manuscript, which wasn't even a manuscript. Mm-hmm. He asked me to read my most interesting cases, and I had him on a file on the computer, and I sent him to him, and he said, "This could be a book. You ought to put this out so people can actually read about what it's like to mm-hmm. be a real paranormal investigator." And uh, he talked me into it, and I was like, "I never thought of that. I never thought of making." Well, any would of this you stuff say? Would book, you say? Would you, know? you say that a paranormal investigator? Bases his experience on his own beliefs, his own values. Sorry, Rob, you were breaking up there. What would you say? I, I said, do you think that a paranormal investigator bases his experience or the, his methodology and his very own method of investigating based on his beliefs as well as on his own virtues or her virtues? I, I'm, a lot of people do. A lot of people do. If, if they're religious by mm-hmm. nature... They've already set the stage for what they're going to believe when they go into these things. If they're an atheist or agnostic, they've already set the stage for what they're going to believe. And, and, and I think that can hinder an investigation greatly when, when somebody goes in and, and they pull the religion card. Because to me, religion does not belong in this research. To answer that shortly. Yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to understand that because uh, a lot of people, when it comes to the paranormal believe it has something to do with religion mm-hmm. i agree yeah and you know what when i assemb- assembled a team that thought went into that um there are catholics there are baptists on the team like, like i said law enforcement electricians carpenters mm-hmm. somebody that comes to the table with something i don't have i'm an atheist you know so i am open to okay if they want to walk in and say let's put salt around this house to make something go away or yeah. it's not going to hurt anything that's true. But as far as what goes down in my case file that goes to the client, that stuff doesn't go in there. Stephen, um, we've got to say so long for tonight. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Great talking to you. Continued thank success. Exo Nation, our guest of this hour has been Stephen Lancaster. Check him out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash author, StephenLancaster.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Oh. 